Welcome to Legacy Fundraising Chat, where I talk about everything legacy-related to help you as a fundraiser generate more interest amongst your supporters in legacy giving. I'm your host, Sunita Gudu, founder of Persuasion and a legacy marketer, providing consultancy training, coaching and interim support to charities of all sizes. Welcome to episode 14, What Should Go in Your Legacy Strategy? September is often the time of year many charities are looking at budgets and plans for the following financial year. So I'm covering this topic to support you with your legacy strategy planning. Note, this is usually a one-day training that I deliver, so it's quite a tall order to cover this off in 30 minutes or less, but I'll do my best. If you are stationary, have a pen and paper to hand or something that you can type into. You might want to take notes as I will be going into quite a lot of detail. If you are on the move, then I suggest maybe listening back to the bits that you feel that you need more information on. There are essentially five stages that I go through when devising a legacy strategy. Stage number one, research and define your objectives. The first step is often one I find that charities skip or gloss over. Please don't do that. The research and the findings will save you a lot of time and money and pain later down the road. Because when the research is done well, you won't be second guessing whether what you should be doing, then trying to do everything, or equally worse, not doing anything at all. I do get it. This isn't as exciting as selecting the images from your lovely photo library or working with your copywriter. But it is a fundamental step if you want a legacy program that will bring results. The first part of the research is external research, which covers A, looking at the current UK legacy market, and specifically for your sector, whether that be education, animals, arts, older people, children, so forth. This information can be available from Legacy Foresight a link I will provide in the show notes. A PESTLE analysis, which stands for political, economic, social, technological, legal and environmental. These are all factors that could affect your charity's operation and future income. An example of this is a youth homelessness charity that I did a strategy review for. Our research uncovered that reducing homelessness is very high on the political agenda with targets and actions to achieve that. That meant that whilst this is very topical, the general public and supporters are likely to be sympathetic to this issue with the messages they will be hearing through the media and party manifestos. Number C, competitor review. Essentially, what are other charities doing? that are similar to you, and what are they achieving in this space? I suggest looking at charities of all sizes, so small, medium, and large, not suggesting you need to aspire to the larger ones, but there may be some learnings there. And also look at geographics in terms of local and national. This is what will be your benchmark, because you don't want to set yourself up to fail, right? So rather than putting arbitrary numbers into your plan, now you can base them on something. But remember, you need to take into account how long these other charities have been going, how far into their legacy program they are, and how many people work in their legacy team. 
The numbers and often the scale of their fundraising operation is available on the Fundraising Commission website. But it is totally okay to reach out to these charities to ask them for information about their legacy team. What's the worst that can happen? So number two is doing an internal audit and SWOT analysis. And this is relating to specific opportunities to introduce legacy fundraising. So SWOT stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, or threats. Strengths within a charity, which might be that your organization has been around for 50 years, or perhaps they have already benefited from a few legacies or has a very supportive trustee board. Equally, the opposite of these could be weaknesses. Opportunities could be the volume or having an older donor base. Threats could be perhaps a low brand awareness. This would include if your charity has changed its branding as well. And number three, as part of stage one, having done all the elements of the research, this will then uncover what your strategic priorities are for legacy promotion and strategy. An example might be to create a legacy culture across your charity and get more internal buy-in as you have discovered that this may have been a weakness. So stage two of what should go into your legacy strategy is now you're ready to develop a two-year delivery and communications plan. I wouldn't recommend writing anything that is more than two years as a delivery plan, as we have seen that the external environment is so changeable. And this is likely to be your first legacy strategy. You'll really want to be testing and learning in these early years. You'll be exploring the opportunities that you've highlighted in stage one. And this includes creating a delivery and communication plan with timelines and indicators that you have achieved your goal. An example of this would be to generate 20 new legacy inquiries in year one. And you may decide you want to do that by including a legacy tick box in your biannual newsletter, calling 50 supporters and mailing 100 supporters. These are activities that you can schedule. They're linked to clear outcomes and you'll know when you have got them. So number two, create a legacy income forecast and timeline for return based on your legacy activity. You're now ready to write up your legacy research from stage one, your delivery and communications plan into a legacy strategy. So stage three of what goes into a legacy strategy is to now create a legacy vision, key messages, or what is often referred to as a legacy proposition, some materials, and perhaps a launch. So if a legacy vision, key messages, and a proposition sounds like jargon to you, allow me to explain. This is essentially your legacy case for support, just as you have for your other fundraising streams. You and your charity need to get super clear as to A, what are you trying to achieve in the long term? And B, why does this matter? A few points to consider here is to remember that legacies is future orientated, and therefore you need to refer to long-term need for the charity and subsequently the long-term impact the donor would be making. It really needs to be positive. The world must be a better place as a result of the supporter having given in this way. So you wouldn't be referencing the short-term need. Save that for your emergency appeals. Be emotive. 
remembering that everyone has a heart. And like any successful appeal, there is always a strong story at the core. Do include examples of how a legacy could or would be used, being careful not to direct supporters to particular services or projects. This is also covered in other episodes. Give your donor choice on how to give. Remembering that our role as fundraisers is to give supporters options. It is then entirely up to them what they do based on those options. Key messages are what you will be using throughout your communications. And it will be your anchor as to how you will talk about legacies. By doing this work really early on, you'll have given yourself the thinking space and ensure that the messages and vision are aligned. You'll be wanting an overarching legacy tagline that is unique to your charity, which means it needs to include the difference legacies make to your cause. The way that I work with my clients on putting a legacy vision and messaging is through facilitating an in-person creative workshop with at least one person from fundraising, marketing, communications, service delivery, and if possible, a trustee. If your fundraising, marketing and comms team is you, then I suggest bringing in more people from your service or frontline colleagues and more trustees. Whilst you're all in the same room, which might be a rare event by the time you are listening to this, if you haven't done this task for your cause before, it is worth taking the time to put together key messages that are specific to your cause. Now, you want to test your legacy vision, your tagline, your key messages with your existing donors, supporters, their families and volunteers. Fast forward and you have a brilliant creative session and you come up with a few different legacy marketing taglines and a few key legacy messages. How do you choose which ones to use and which ones will work? Yeah, you've guessed it. You have to test to find out. Really, you want people who meet the profile of your legacy audience to review these messages and provide you with honest feedback. There's a number of ways you can present and gather this feedback, and I have done all these with no specific preference, only that volume does matter, so you'd want at least 10 people. My suggestion is that for every tagline and association messaging that you create a separate mock-up of the copy, with the types of images you are thinking of using. It doesn't have to be the final images. It just helps to put context on what you are asking for feedback on. And some people naturally are drawn to images before copy. You could simply mail it to family, members, neighbours or volunteers and send them specific questions on what you want them to feedback on. You could run a focus group in person or virtually Again, sticking to a specific set of questions. You could send it to key warm supporters in the post and call them to get their feedback. Now you're ready to create your materials to promote legacies, whether that's liaising with your marketing and production staff or other providers. So you have had your feedback, you have agreed your legacy messaging, you're ready to start producing your materials. If you need some inspiration on what materials you'll need, I've covered that in my last episode, number 13. This is where I appreciate 
is what we usually want to start with. And let's face it, it's far more creative and fun, or appears to be so. But the danger of starting here is that you produce something that doesn't resonate with your audience because the groundwork hasn't been done. And you might end up producing something that visually looks great and sounds good. And you perhaps focusing on something specific. And this may not even be the reason why the donor supports you. Or if your charity supports its beneficiaries in a number of ways with a catalogue of services, you might decide that you need to be more general. But because you've done the research, you've taken the time to create specific legacy messaging for your charity, which resonates with your audience, this part of the legacy strategy will be much easier. So you'll want to be sourcing necessary case studies and the permission forms. I have done a whole episode on how to collect and use case studies in your legacy marketing. So do listen back to episode five for more detail around this. The episode covers case studies from family and friends of the legator, beneficiary stories, the impact a legacy has made or what your charity does with funds, a case study on the legator themselves and pledger stories. So armed with the feedback and you have agreed legacy messages and case studies, you're ready to start producing your materials. So the next step is creating perhaps a launch or spotlight on legacies, awareness week or month within your organisation. This is a step I encourage all my charity clients to take. You've done all the work in researching and creating an existing legacy programme that will be fundamental to the future of your charity. Why not tell all your colleagues about it? Note that I'm not referring to a dry PowerPoint presentation talking through what you did, but something far more fun. Create a quiz, a workshop, in-house training module. Give free stuff away. Make some fun email communications. If your charity marketing calendar allows, I recommend at least one week so it gets the time and attention that it deserves. Though if you are able to shoot for a month, with one activity planned for each week. That's even better. Then keep that date for the following year. Your colleagues aren't likely to forget about legacies, are they? And when you want them to include a legacy tip box or a case study in a local newsletter, they'll remember you and how fun and important legacies are. Stage four of the legacy strategy planning is cultivation and stewardship. So this is maintaining contact with your pledges and inquirers. Now you have a legacy program underway. You're grabbing the interest of your supporters through legacy inquiries. And people are even telling you that they've included your charity in their will. Make these supporters feel loved and important. Keep in touch with them. If that is what they want. Help your legacy inquirers to make a decision around actually becoming a legacy pledger by showing them what the impact of their legacy would do. Again, with your legacy pledges, find out their motivations for supporting you. How much contact do they want? And remember, just as your charity was put in their will, your charity can be taken out. So you want to give these special supporters the care and attention. There is so much that you can do as part of putting together a stewardship plan that I will be covering that in later episodes. And the final stage is the evaluation. No doubt at some point, someone in your finance team is going to ask you how successful is the legacy program? In other words, when is the money going to come in? 
Although you cannot pinpoint when this will happen, what you can do is present your activity, the number of people that have expressed interest in giving in this way, and the people that have actually told you that they have. You'll want to report on this monthly and have a realistic benchmarking in place, which you will have uncovered from the research that you did in stage one. You will also use the industry benchmark that on average a legacy has received seven years from last will, but can vary massively depending on cause and demographic of supporters. By cause, I mean health and end-of-life charities that are likely to receive their gifts a lot sooner. I do highly recommend for every legacy activity or campaign you undertake that you complete a thorough evaluation. Why? Because how else will you know if it has been successful and whether you should be repeating it? So that, my listener, is all for this episode. Just to recap, the five stages of creating a legacy strategy are stage one, research and define your objectives. Stage two, develop a two-year delivery and communications plan. Stage three, create a legacy vision, key messages, or what's referred to as a legacy proposition materials and launch. Stage four is cultivation and stewardship. This is about keeping in contact with your pledges and inquiries. And the final stage, five, is evaluation. I've covered a lot of detail for each stage, so do listen back as much as you need to to capture all the points. Or a transcript is available on my website as they are for all my episodes, which is simply all the W's, persuasion.org.uk. And if you need any more support, do drop me an email at sunita at persuasion.org.uk. Or you can book a call with me via my contact page on my website. Thank you so much for listening to Legacy Fundraising Chat, brought to you by Persuasion, a consultancy training and coaching organisation, helping fundraisers just like you. Thank you also for everything that you do for your cause in the charity sector, making it an inspiring place to work. I'm your host, Sunita Gudu, championing your legacy fundraising efforts.